you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Interesting. So let's pray. Father, we uh, come this morning and we ask that as we look at your word together, uh, as we come, we gather all ages, Father, we ask that the power of your Holy Spirit would move through your words as we, we open your word, as we, we look at this topic together. Father, we pray that you would use the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus, our Saviour and our King, in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I said this would be interesting, so everybody, in a moment we're going to do a little bit of an exercise. You're going to see a video come up on the screen. If you can't read, um, there will be some, uh, some explanation of it. If you can't read, they'll tell you what you need to do. You must count and focus on how many times the white team passes the basketball, all right? And at the end, we'll find out who gets it right. How many times do the white team pass the basketball? Let's go. All right, a moment of honesty. Um, firstly, who got 15 passes? Oh, well done. Now, now, hands down. Who didn't see the gorilla? Hands up. Wow, that is amazing. Like, you, you are apparently when the, this is an, a, a test they ran at the Smithsonian Institute in Washington and others, it's called selective attention. And around about 50% of, of people, every time they do that, don't see the gorilla. But those of you saw the gorilla, how could you have missed it? Like the lady comes in in the gorilla suit. Do you notice that? And she goes like this and she walks out. And when you see, you think, how could I have missed that? How could I possibly have missed it? And the reason is that your mind has selective attention. You are focusing on how many passes to count and you completely missed the gorilla. And um, they go on to say, and I might have another slide here, that um, the, the scientists who were studying this ended up saying this. The most effective cloaking device is the human mind. The most effective cloaking device is the human mind. And you know what? As we, we look at this topic of examination this morning, I want to suggest to you that the maker of the human mind would agree that the most effective cloaking device is the human mind. So let me ask that question. When you look at yourself... I don't mean look at in the mirror, but when you look at who you are as a person, what do you see? What do you see when you look at yourself? And the reason I ask this is the truth is what we think we see when we look at ourselves is almost certainly wildly inaccurate and potentially completely wrong. Why? Because the most effective cloaking device in the world is the human mind. Let's look at it for a moment. This is true of our behavior. Uh, so if Proverbs, the book of Proverbs tells us in chapter 12, verse 15, listen to this, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to advice. Now, notice that both the fool and the wise man begin at the same point that their behavior is right. We all do. 
Uh, most of the time, anyway, we all think our behavior is right. But the, the difference between the two is the fool goes, well, I'm sure it's right, because it's right in my own eyes. The wise man goes, hang on, the most effective device, the cloaking device is the human mind, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe what I think is right is not actually right, so it says he will seek advice. He'll ask someone else to say, is my behavior really right? True of our motivations for our behavior. Not just our behavior, but the reasons for it, isn't it? Um, So we're really good at being suspicious of other people's motivations for their behavior, but looking at our own behavior and going like, my behavior has the right motivations. Uh, But the Bible says, Jeremiah 17 verse 9, listen to this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The point is that you might have gorillas in the motivations for your behavior that you just don't know exist. All right, so it's, it's our behavior, our motivations for our behavior. It's also true of the way we treat other people. Um, we human beings tend to have razor-sharp perception of the faults of other people. We can see them so clearly. We can see their gorillas and go, how can you not see the gorilla beating its chest in your life? It's so obvious. <laughs> and yet we have a, a very developed ability to not discern the gorilla in our own life, which is also beating its chest. And everyone else can see it, but we can't. It's, it's a little bit like bad breath. You know, this is, check your breath, you know. <laughs> if you've got bad breath this morning, you probably won't know it, because if you knew it, you would have done the breath mints or cleaned your teeth a couple of times. Yeah, that's right, worth checking. Um, but if you do have bad breath, let me promise you, everyone else will know you've got it, even if you don't. You can tell yourself you don't, but if you do, everyone will know. And Jesus, in the reading this morning, he says, he uses an example of, it's as if we walk around with a giant plank of wood in our eyes, and we walk around like this huge thing, and, and, and we go around trying to help people with their problems and their gorillas, and say, so you got a gorilla there, Jess, and as I'm trying to get the gorilla out of Jess's life, I'm bashing her with the big plank in my own. And Jesus tells it, because it's a stupid story, because if you had that, like you would go, how could you be so silly? But the point is, we are very good at masking our own motivations, our own behavior, and being able to see the faults of other people, but not those of ourselves. And chillingly, and this is really chilling, this is, this is terrifying when we think about the implications. It's not just true of the way we consider our relationships with other people and the faults of other people. It's also true of the most important thing in all of your life and mine. You know what that is? Your relationship with God. There is a potential for you and I to have a completely wrong understanding of our relationship with God, our status with God, our, our salvation from hell, our welcome into, the, into heaven. Why it is so chilling is that you could be sitting here this morning and be convinced that you are completely right with God but you could be completely deceived. Uh, It's quite possible even to think that you are a Christian and that you've been part of a church community for a long time. Maybe you grew up as a Christian. It is quite possible for you to think that you are a Christian, but to be deceived, that you may not actually be a Christian at all. How do I know this? Because historically, 
there are a number of, of occasions and accounts of preachers like me being converted as they preach their own sermon to themselves. It's happened in Christian ministry, but not actually knowing the person and the saving power of the Lord Jesus. Um, Jesus gives a number of chilling warnings, I think, in Scripture, where he talks about the end of, of time. He talks about the last day when, when people are gathered together before the great judgment seat. And, and one of the things that, that frightens me, you can read about, say, in Matthew 25 onwards, and other places in the Gospels, is that in that moment... There's not just people going like, oh yeah, we paid Jesus off, we're not interested in salvation, we lived our lives for ourselves. But there are many accounts of people going, but, but, but you ate in our houses. You, you, what, what do you mean that, that we're, we're not welcomed into? What do you mean, go away from me, you evildoers? There's a shock uh, in the final judgment that reveals the fact that you and I are masters of deception. Deceiving ourselves in, a, in, a, in regard to our real status with God. Um, in the last series in 2 Corinthians, Paul had this warning we looked at just a few weeks ago. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He's writing this to the church in Corinth. Examine yourself, see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Do you see how chilling this is that, that it's possible for us to be convinced that we are indeed Christians when we are not? That the most effective device in cloaking in anything is the human mind. Our humanity also, uh, and the, the, another frightening thing is that it's not most of the time when we do the wrong thing or we're in wrong status with God or other people, there's something inside us that helps it tell, isn't it? The conscience. Most of the time, that little voice inside you will say, you did the wrong thing. You treated mum and dad the wrong way. You treated the kids the wrong way. You treated God the wrong way. There's a conscience thing deep in our heart, but we can't actually rely on it all the time. It may mean that it's possible that I've got gorillas in my life that I don't even know exist. I don't feel bad about them because I have no idea that they're there. So David prays in Psalm 139. It's a good prayer. He says, search me, God. Search me, he says, know my heart. Test me. Look at my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David saying, I might be sinning against you and not even know it. There's gorillas that I don't even know aware of, so would you reveal them to me? But so far, if you've noticed, I've only looked at the negative parts of the cloaking device, which is the human mind. I've looked at the negative times when we think we're really doing well when we're actually not. When there's, yeah, we, we, we don't think there's any gorillas, but there is. I've looked at the negative focus, but there's also a positive focus, um, or, or it's, a, it's a, te a tendency to be, uh, deceive ourselves and be deceived by Satan in the complete opposite direction. So, so what, I, what I mean is this, there's a, a tendency to be overly negative with ourselves, to see gorillas in our lives that aren't there, to, to tell ourselves we've seen gorillas, but they're just not objectively there in our lives. Um, 
we can be blind to the incredible work of grace, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We can see all the negatives and, and the, the areas where we fall short, but we can miss what God is doing in us. Um, we'll say, I was once blind, I was a wretch, I was under God's condemnation, and I still am because I'm a, I'm a sinner, and I'm a filthy sinner, and everything is, is, is bad about my life, and I can never do anything right, and I'm under God's, God's judgment. And we can miss the fact, as John Newton said, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. It can be a little bit like, um, as a Christian, if you're a Christian here this morning, it'd be like, <laughs> I don't know if this parallel works, but if you could like starting to go to the gym, you let yourself get out of shape and you go like, I'm going to get to the gym. And you do the gym for the first night or the first day and you come home and you look in the mirror and you go like, oh, this is not working. Don't see any change. And you do it the next morning, no change. A week later, no change. Two weeks later, you still, still no change. And it's easy to go like, oh, it's just not working for me. I've got a body type. It just doesn't respond. You know, whatever it is, you go like, this doesn't work. Give it up. But then if you had the opportunity a month later, two months later, to meet someone who you hadn't seen since before you began that gym program, very likely they will look at you and go, oh my goodness, what have you been doing? You, you look great. You look so healthy. You see, because it's, it's such an incremental development that if you look at it day by day, you won't see a thing. But over time, there is real change. And, and let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, that's how it works with your faith very often. Uh, we want instant response. I've become a Christian. I've been, there's a new wave of the Holy Spirit. I'm suddenly a completely different person. Everyone will see it. And God works like that sometimes. But very often... In our, in our growth, it's, it's gradual. It's little by little. And you may well be deceived. You may, you may think, I'm just the same as I was six months ago. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing these disciplines and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to have a rule of life and nothing is working. You might be deceived. You might be missing what God is doing in your life in, in a positive sense. So, so what is to be done? Um, if it's true that our minds are so effective at cloaking devices, how do, we, how do we respond if what you think about you and what I think about me might not actually be the real state of affairs? So what do we do? Well, the answer is the spiritual discipline of examination and encouragement. Uh, Socrates, the philosopher, Greek philosopher, once said that the unexamined life is not worth living. He's right, you know. He was saying that if you go through your life and you never examine your own life intentionally and deliberately, well, it's not worth living. You're missing out on what life really is all about. So a key part of when we speak about the rule of life, remember the, the trellis that's designed to help the vine of your abiding in Jesus Christ flourish? A key part of it is putting into practice a, a deliberate way of examination, examining yourself and asking others to help you examine yourself in the light of God. So examination with others, because um, if you think about it, if it's true, you've got gorillas in your life that you don't know about, you can't see, but other people can see them. So isn't the logical response that you would ask somebody to help you see what you can't see? It's like, you know, if, if you have a blind spot in a car, you know, now you've got the mirrors on the side that light up 
to tell you that there's a car in your blind spot. Don't, don't go in or you're going to have a crash. It's like God has provided each other to be like the mirrors, you know, the, the, the lights in the mirrors in the blind spot side. So if that's true, that there are areas of your life that are, and my life, that we're not aware of, wouldn't we ask someone else and say, hey, what do you see in the blind spot? What are the, what are the, what are the, what are the areas I need to grow? Now, you could go to your worst enemies and ask them this question. Say, hey, you know, like, um, how do you think that I need to grow? Where are my blind spots? Let me tell you, they will probably delight in telling you all of your blind spots and all of your weaknesses, but they will do it probably out of a motivation of, like, wow, you've opened yourself up now. Let's just go. Let's, let's really get the knives in. Interestingly, though, they probably still will put their fingers on parts of, of your character that are true, the blind spots that are true. Um, I, I once had a, had a boss who, yeah, we didn't get on very well. Um, and in the annual report for that year, he gave me a terrible annual report. And, and I was, as I read that report, I said, like, you have been so unfair. Like, this is such a bad report. And you just, because you don't like me, you just don't get on. Um, but then I, I read it a second time and went, yeah, but everything you say has got at least some truth in it. <laughs> you, you, you're very good at pointing out the areas where my weaknesses are. I think, I think you're right. You've done it with the wrong motive, but I think. But you're right. Uh, uh, Spurgeon, the preacher, said, you've got to let your critics be your coaches. So that there is truth in what your worst enemy will see. But the, the reality is most of us are not that robust, and I'm certainly not. I'm not going to go to my enemies and say, tell me my blind spots. You want to go to someone who loves you. Uh, you want to go to someone who, maybe a really close friend, hopefully your spouse, um, someone who you know knows you and would probably be wanting to share with you some of these blind spots, maybe for a long time, but you've never given the opportunity to actually ask them. I think that's the sort of person that you'd want to Go with, but whatever you do, whoever you choose, you need to be explicit in asking them. Because most people will not voluntarily tell you about the gorillas in your life. Why? Well, you just don't do it. It's offensive. I mean, um, you've got to ask people, you've got to open the door and say, hey, would you come with me and help me see some of the blind spots? Would you help me see some of the areas where I think I'm probably doing well, but maybe I'm not. And also, could you help me see some of the spots where maybe I'm doing better than I think I am? And I can be encouraged. Um, over the years, I've done this a, a few times in different ways. And uh, sometimes it's been pretty serious and heavy. Um, sometimes it's been kind of encouraging in a different way. So Arabella, given it's the kids' Sunday, um, can you come up for a sec? So we did this a couple of years ago, didn't we, Arabella? This is my daughter, Arabella, and, um, and I, I come, come stand here, there we are. If you're, if you're online at home, nice to see you. Um, now, I, I think we we're having a dad date at a dim sim place, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I think I'd heard a sermon on this from somebody else, and I was trying to put it into practice. And so I remember um, asking you about the blind spots and the things that I was doing wrong. How did you feel when I asked you to share honestly about my behavior? Um, I felt excited and relieved to be able to share my thoughts, and I really appreciated being asked. Okay. So, um, what did you say then to me? Um, I said, you don't want to eat fish, no long walks, and no gutter walks. Okay. 
So fish, garden work, and long works, you felt were blind spots in my parenting. Yep. Okay, and um, how, how, have I improved in those areas since then? Kindly. <laughs> Come on. I haven't eaten fish since that day, which is amazing. Um, but long walks and garden work still happen. <laughs> Thanks, Bella. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I wanted to show that um, this process, it can be fun if, if you are a parent or, a, or even a grandparent. Ask your, your kids. I, you do feel very vulnerable. Like when I, even when I ask Arabella, I'm like, she's 10 years old. You know, like I'm 45. Give me a break. You know, like I'm not going to be really worried about what she says. But just I was like I was like I sort of hanging on that moment. What's she going to say? Because I'm a parent and I'm vulnerable and parents don't always know. And, and in that case, it was really, it was really encouraging Fish, garden work, and long works. Like, thank you, Lord. If that's all it really is, I'm thankful. Um, maybe I should make her eat fish again, but I don't know. But there are other times, of course, when it's really, it is very serious, and it can be very difficult to process. Um, I've done that on other occasions when I've got to really wrestle with it. But, but the point is that, that it's not like a, a sort of an introspective moment where you go like, oh, I'm terrible, or I haven't. It, you, you're asking I just want to see how things really are. And maybe things are really as you see them. Maybe you're doing a great job as a parent. Maybe you're doing a great job as an employee or a workplace or a GC leader or whatever it is. And, but I think the thing is, unless you ask other people to help examine, you won't know. And there might be areas in your life which could be easily changed if you knew what they were. And, and here's the deal though. It, again, this is so important. It's not just going to happen. Um, no one is going to begin to help you examine your life with you unless you ask them, or very few people. There's a, a story, um, Matt Chandler, who spoke at a conference earlier this year, uh, he tells a story which I've never forgotten. He, he tells a story about he was uh, speaking at a, a conference and he was at, at a hotel getting ready to go to the conference, having breakfast in the morning. And he noticed that there was a man in a, in a really nice suit and he had his notes before him and he realized that there was... Um, a recruiting agency or there, or there was an interview process going on for what was obviously a big job and it was going uh, in the doors through the other side of the breakfast room of the hotel and he noticed this guy and he was like checking the tie and nervous and you know going through his notes and notes and notes and and then finally you know he looked time time for him and he stood up strained his tie had his briefcase you know under his arm ready and he, he went purposely towards the doors of the of, of the interview room, and then Matt Chandler says, as he walked past his table, he noticed a big blob of cream cheese uh, on his chin, and he was like, and he, he said, and other people in the, in, the, in the hotel breakfast room saw it, and nobody said anything, and they watched this guy walk, you know, open the door straight into, you know, the first impression of his new employer with a big blob of cream cheese. No one could say anything to him, and it's quite possible that you and I have got cream cheese, but no, very few people will say to us unless we give them permission. So I want to encourage you to, to, as you consider your examination, ask someone who you know. Um, if it's your spouse, maybe, maybe lunch after church today, just say, all right, honestly, be kind to me. But where, where are the areas I can grow? Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone in your GC. Maybe it's your whole GC. You've got such a, a welcoming, safe gospel community that you could ask the whole GC to say, okay, this week, 
say, all right, what do you see? But do it prayerfully and ask them to be kind as they do it too, because you do feel very, very vulnerable. But as I move towards closing as well, um, it's something that you can do yourself as well. Uh, it helps to have other people, but you can do it yourself because you're not doing it alone. If you're doing this correctly, you're doing it in the light of God. So you're coming to God and saying, God, I'm waiting before you in prayer. By your Holy Spirit, would you show me the areas in my life where, where I maybe need to be challenged or where I need to be encouraged? Would you show me? Uh, throughout history, some Christians have been very diligent, like uh, John Wesley, I think, he divided his whole 24-hour day into 15-minute increments, um, like a lawyer with a, with a timesheet, and at the end of each day, he would go through each 15-minute interval throughout the day going, did I serve God in that? Was there any sin in that? Did I, uh, was, was I useful with my time in that? Each 15, now, I don't do that 15-minute intervals. Um, some of you may be really organized. It could be a good way to do it. Um, but what I try to do at least once a day is usually just, just before bed is say, God, look, here's the day as it was. So this is what happened when I got up and I had spent the time with you and then I spoke with that person. I, I did this. I made that telephone call. I, and then I think, Lord, you were with me throughout the day. Um, where were the, was there some points when I failed you, when my attitude or my motivations were wrong? Were there other times maybe when, when you... Your, your pleasure was, was palpable in the way I responded to this or, or that, that happened. Lord, would you just show me because I can't see it. Holy Spirit, would you open my eyes? But let me encourage you, how you do this will be really important. Um, if you see God as a, a very mean figure in your life, rule-keeping, and, and he's got the Ten Commandments and the rules, and, 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 and every time you come to God, you think, I've failed you again, I'm, I'm a useless, I, I'm just this grasshopper in, under you, into your judgment all the time, and, and you're always angry with me, and you're always waiting to get me. When, if you come and do examination like that, you, you will, you'll find what you expect to find. You'll examine yourself, and you'll come away and go, I failed again, I'm a useless dad, I'm a useless husband, I'm a useless um, mother, a grandmother, whatever it is. But if you go with the attitude and you go, you know what? I've been bought by a Savior that loves me. Jesus Christ has died on the cross for me, in my place, for my sins. I am full of the Holy Spirit. And as I wait on, on you, my Father, you love me. And it's a little bit like maybe if I'd go through a netball game with Bella. Like she, she loves a netball. And at the end of the game, we'll talk about how the game went. Have a sit down and maybe I'll say to her, Bella, I didn't like how you, you talk back to the umpire. That's a, she would never do that. Um, or how you push that girl over. Or, uh, that wasn't very nice. But oh, that was great. That intercept was great and you shot that goal. But, but the point is, it, it, it's, it's a, it doesn't matter. I love her. And the only reason we're doing is because I wanted to know the encouragement that I'm a dad and she's special to me. And I don't care how the game went, but I love my girl. And that's, when we come with that examination towards God, we say, that's what he is. He's a father. He loves us. And yes, he may point out things in our day that we, we, we've let him down. And he may encourage us in other areas where, where we've 
We've seen growth, but the point is he loves us. It's not judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment, and on the cross, Jesus Christ has stood in our place. So you and I are free to examine ourselves, not to try and meet a standard to decide if we got good enough to become a Christian. That's impossible. Jesus has done that for us. But we're free to examine ourselves to grow in his grace and receive his love. All right. We're going to apply some of that now. Uh, We're going to have Holy Communion uh, as families, as a church family. And Holy Communion uh, in the Bible's teaching is a time to examine ourselves. Uh, Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. He says, let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So Paul says that the communion, when we we come together to, in the presence of God, to take the bread and, and to drink the cup, he says it's a serious thing. He says, before you do it, each one should examine yourself Examine your heart. See, are you coming to communion with the right motivations? Are you coming to the body and blood of God, of Jesus, as you should? And if you're not, it's a, it's a time to actually get right with God. Not to stand under judgment, but to, to make right with God so you can come to the table freely as you are a beloved son and daughter of God. And so the way we're going to do this now, in a moment, I'm going to ask the, the guys to bring that table up. And you'll see that there's a number of things on the communion table which you won't normally see. There, there is uh, bread and there is juice. And I think we have gluten-free options. We do, there. And so in a moment, what I'm going to ask is that you, you come and you take, um, you can see there's some different options you can take. Take some juice, take some bread, take the pre-packed cups, if it's easier for your for children. Take them back to your seats, but also take a piece of paper, and if you don't have a pen or a pencil with you uh, in a handbag or in a pocket or something, take a pencil as well, and then go back to your seats, and when we've all been served, I'll explain what we'll do now. Don't take communion yourself yet. Wait, and we'll do it together. But So take bread, juice, paper, pen, go back to your seats, and then we'll come back in just a few minutes. So let's do that as quickly as we can. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.